Cal and I are just standing here marveling at all the bodies out here. Look at the people. Good to see everybody getting back in again. Well, they're not quite so bad today. Still not wonderful, but we've seen it a lot worse than it is right now. So we're going to sing Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. One, I know we don't get to this one too often, and it's a little bit different from the kind you normally sing, but I encourage you again, just like I always do, feast a little on the words as you go, would you? Let's stand, please, as we sing. Love divine, all love's excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. Come, Almighty, to deliver, let us all thy life receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. Thee we would be always blessed. Serve Thee as Thy host above. Pray and praise Thee without ceasing. Glory in Thy perfect love. Finish then Thy new creation. Pure and spotless, let us be. Let us see. Change from glory into glory Till in heaven we take our place Till we cast our before thee Lost in wonder, love and praise Wonderful. Now greet your neighbor please Say God bless you and then be seated It's nice to see everybody here. You know, who said the sun needs to shine before you go to church? I, as I was driving in this morning, um, the uh, the fog was dense enough that we had about a 60-yard visibility, I think, and people were passing me, and I thought, is it my eyes or is this really fog? I think that there were some people take, willing to take more risk than I than I was willing to take. Well, it's nice to have you here. Bless you, bless you. Uh, we want to start this morning by having uh, Marilyn Basham to stand up and, 
and uh, read a, um, a card that she received uh, this week. Thank you. <laughs> well, this is the longest list of announcements that I think I've ever had. And I actually had Cassie put them on a, um, on a PowerPoint for me so that you all would have a visual memory. Uh, however... Uh, we discovered that uh, nothing transferred on that little disc. <laughs> story of my life. It is the story of my life. But we got along without it before. We can get along without it now, right? That sounds like a country western song. <laughs> okay. Low-tech stuff right here. Listen very carefully. And uh, we will... Um, be announcing uh, these uh, events again next Sunday. First of all, I know that many of you, and hopefully all of you, got a, um, a um, an email from me announcing the uh, movie night uh, on January 28th. Uh, this was an idea that, uh, that we uh, had just a few weeks ago, and I was hoping to make it an intergenerational uh, event, and I've been talking to... Um, to Jeff Washhauser about bringing the Life Stage 3 uh, people in so that we could have some interconnection with them. And uh, we were not able to get our, um, our um, child care taken care of. You know, I don't think about things like that. Uh, I mean, Carolyn and I are empty nesters. I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> That's right. What is that? <laughs> Just dream. <laughs> uh, but but uh, on, on January the 28th, Friday night, in the family room, we're going to have a movie night, and uh, we're, going to, uh, we're going to look at the movie Young at Heart, and, which is a fabulous movie, and then we're going to take 30 or 40 minutes to just discuss some of the uh, things that, um, that happen in that, in that movie. And so... Um, we're looking forward to as many of you as possible coming. And uh, Barbara, where's Barbara? Here's Barbara. She has a sign-up sheet. There's no cost involved with this, but we just want to know how many to plan for. So um, if you're interested, be sure to let Barbara know. It is at 7 o'clock. And we'll be out by 9.15. Can you all handle 9.15? Yeah. If there's child care, yeah. All right. Uh, the next announcement I have is February 24th. So we've got a little time here to uh, promote this. Uh, we are, um, there is going to be the uh, 8th Annual Gala Concert of Sacred Music. Uh, how many of you have been to the Gala Concert of Sacred Music? I see lots of hands. It really, they used to have it at Bass Hall, and now they're having it in the Truett Auditorium at uh, the seminary. It's free, 
they will they will have uh, most of the uh, Fort Worth Symphony, uh, the uh, the uh, se- the seminary choir, and then Steve Green is going to be the uh, the uh, uh, the guest personality. And I have free tickets if you are inclined to to enjoy sacred classical music. You will uh, love this, and um, th- just if you're going to take a ticket, be sure to use it. I have uh, been able to get us a blocked area where that uh, we can all sit together. And so uh, that's your live stage pastor at work. It, it is the uh, 24th of February at 730. Uh-huh. Uh, if you want to know anything more about Steve Green, you can Google him and uh, you can actually watch some videos of his songs. And I think you'd enjoy knowing that uh, he was raised in Argentina. And uh, I think he's something that we can really enjoy. Thank you. All right. Number three. Whoa. (laughs) Number three is, uh, you know, we've had such uh, good success for fellowship purposes uh, by having these dinners before the the, um, concerts that our music department does. And so uh, on February the 25th, which is a Friday night, in Fellowship Hall, we're going to have a dinner preceding Movie Music Magic, CCBC Pops Orchestra Concert. And we will be um, uh, having people sign up for that, and there will be a little uh, fee involved with that. And then on March the 4th, uh, we're going to have a potluck dinner. And uh, we're going to have Charles Thornton, uh, the, um, the uh, humorist that we've had a couple of times that just uh, keeps us laughing. Um, and and I, I thought it was time to have Charles back. And so um, that's on March the 4th. Uh, so we've got, we've got a movie night on the 28th. We've got February 24th, 25th, and March 4th covered. Uh, if you all get bored and want something else to do, just call me. Yes, yes. Also, um, rodeo tickets have been made available to us for free. Uh, I do not have them in my hand yet, but if you all, whoever might be inclined to uh, go to the rodeo with a free ticket on the afternoon of February the uh, 3rd, uh, could I see a show of hands? Lots. Last year we had a bunch of people go and we had a good time. And um, Betty Reed, who's normally in our Sunday school class, she had a bad cold uh, this week, and so uh, she's not here today. But she's going to have tickets for us, so uh, just uh, keep that uh, on your calendar. Last but not least, every Monday we meet to pray, Monday with the Masters. And, uh, and we have uh, people who are so faithful to, uh, to um, share each, with each other and uh, to bring the request of the church uh, to the throne of grace. So just remember that every Monday, 1230 to 130. 
Thank you, Jim. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here. And following up what Jim said about the Mondays, Monday with the Masters, Monday with the Master, Mondays with the Master. Got the S's in the wrong place. Anyway, easy for you to say. We have prayer request cards out on the table to your right when you leave the room, and you can fill one of those out, and you'll have a whole group of people praying for that prayer request. It's really uh, pretty great. I have a couple announcements. One is that there's going to be a function in this room after the class is over with, and we have been asked to vacate the room as fast as we can so that they can set up. They're going to have to set up round tables for this function. I'm not sure what it is. But anyway, we need to um, obey their request. Okay. Also, I've been asked to announce that for those of you that are 70 and a half and have an IRA, either a Roth or a regular IRA, the uh, the uh, law that allows you to make a qualified tax um, distribution or gift out of your IRA has been extended through 2011. See your broker or talk to your tax accountant about it. You still can do that by taking your required minimum distribution or part of it and giving it to the church or some um, qualified charitable organization that you'd like to donate to. So you need to know about that. Outside of that, I think that um, if anyone else has an announcement or you would like to share what God has done in your life this week that is really special, I would like to hear from you. Just an update on Camille. I know a lot of y'all have asked me. I saw her last Wednesday, talked to her Thursday, and she is doing miraculously well. She did have an episode um, last week. Uh, with uh, her angina, it, it was diagnosed. It wasn't her heart uh, per se, but they've regulated whatever it is they need to regulate. And uh, Thursday, after I talked to her, she had uh, was required by the therapy department at Broadway to make a meal. And she made her potato, her infamous potato soup, and they liked it so much they asked her to make another pot. <laughs> So she had a good time doing that, but she's doing really well, and she went to the beauty shop yesterday, or Friday, and just feisty as she can be, and hopefully will be able to come home within two weeks. We appreciate your love and care for her. It's amazing. Yes, Bob? Well, I saw Roz Trull yesterday. He is in the rehab uh, building over on 12th Avenue right off of Rosedale, and uh, he, uh, I don't know whether you all know, but he broke his leg uh, in two places, and uh, but it's healing well, and uh, so he's going to be in rehab, I guess, for, oh, at least a month, maybe maybe longer than that, So, but he's improved a whole bunch, and that's good. I was just going to say something about it. Okay, thank you for mentioning it. Uh, it was just mentioned to me, and I was going to say something about this. That uh, a lot of you in here know Tommy and Lila Rapp. I know she, and she's such a wonderful lady. 
and has struggled for a long time with um, with pancreatic cancer, and she's had some other issues. She's had a stroke now, and um, it's a frontal lobe stroke, so it's not impaired her in any way other than her memory. But anyway, if, if you're praying for Lila, uh, keep her on your prayer list, please, and for Tommy. LLO, keep her on your prayer list too. Anything, anything else that? Uh, okay, Alan, just a second. Uh, God protects us in little things. I'm good at losing things. This week, I lost a prescription on the highway, and on another occasion, I lost a driver's license on the highway, and I was able to find them both. So, not critical, but thankful to have them. Give you all an update on uh, on our grandson uh, with the neuroblastoma. He's received uh, all six of his chemotherapies uh, at uh, Cook's Children, and they had no effect on the tumor. Uh, Tuesday morning, they're going to be heading out to MD Anderson to to seek uh, further assistance down there. So that's uh, where we are right now. It's uh, uh, Dawson Holland. Just a second, Marie. <laughs> I probably don't need it. <laughs> um, many of you have prayed for our granddaughter, Shelby. And um, a couple of months ago, one of the prayer requests was uh, about a transplant. And uh, some people have mixed up. Uh, and they come to me and they go, how's she doing with the transplant? She did not have a kidney transplant. She needs a kidney. She has no kidneys. She's on dialysis six days a week. And um, what she had transplanted is an artery from her leg and a vein into her arm and hand next to the fistula, which was extremely critical. The fistula is the port that you receive uh, dialysis through. That's where the blood goes in, the blood goes out. If that's messed up, then you can't have dialysis. If you don't have dialysis, you're not going to be here very long. Shelby is 22. She's been in the hospital this past year seven times, and most of that was surgical procedures. We would, I know it's, I'm not going to ask this every Sunday, but I do have people coming up to us and saying that they're still praying for Shelby. And even though I might, know, might not know who you are, the Lord knows that you're praying. And I just want to thank you for praying for Shelby because after 22 years of all of this, the last couple of months we've had to really work hard with Shelby to want to go on because she says it's too much, it's too long, and I give up. And that's when we all pray even harder and we start talking to her. She's back on the right track, and she does know the Lord. Thank you for praying. Well, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, um, so Cal will have enough time to to teach. Father, we come to you this morning with our hearts open, desiring very much to hear from you through the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us. 
to mold us and to make us what you want us to be. Father, you know all these prayer requests that are on everyone's mind today, and we hold these up to you. I do hold Shelby up to you, especially. And um, this this young man who's going to be going to MD Anderson, may you give their physicians great skill and wisdom as they treat them. And we do ask for your healing and for your provision for those things that they need. Thank you, Father, for sending the Lord Jesus to pay for my sins. Thank you for the time we'll have together in your word, your wonderful, precious, and errant word this morning. And may you fill our brother Kyle with the Holy Spirit as he teaches us and move in my heart and all the hearts that are here today. Save our country. May the gospel prosper in our land. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 4. We are continuing on our series of questions that, pe- that uh, Jesus asked to different people. And today we have a parable, a parable that's uh, very familiar to most of us. But I think the question is interesting that Jesus asked. The question itself is in verse 13, where Jesus asked his disciples... Don't you understand this parable? Don't you understand what I'm talking about? How then will you understand any parable if you're having trouble with this one? So what is the parable, and why is it important that we understand it? Why was it important to Jesus that the disciples understand this particular parable? Let's start reading in verse 2. He taught them many things by parables and his teaching and in his teaching saying, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It is a familiar parable to us. We recognize the story instantly. The man is spreading the seed. The farmer is going through the field. We need to remember that we're talking about farming 2,000 years ago, not farming today with high-tech equipment guided by GPS systems and et cetera, which is what a modern tractor, combine, et cetera, et cetera, does. The man would go out with his sack of seed, and he would throw the seed. The seed would fall on a variety of different soils, and the quality, the quantity of the produce was a function of where the seed fell. And Jesus turns to his audience and says, those of you who have ears, 
listen. Now, you can imagine the, the, the casual person going, I've got an ear. Don't we all have ears? Don't most people have ears? But Jesus in his parables is giving spiritual truth using common everyday pictures that the people would be familiar with. What follows in the next several verses, and we are going to intentionally skip over it, is a discussion of why Jesus uses parables. It's actually different than what most people think. Most people have always viewed parables as sermon illustrations. I am going to make a point, and then I'm going to use an illustration to make my point. Okay, and that's true, if you understand the parable. But Jesus makes the comment that it's not given to everyone to understand the parables. There are those who are given the truth, who are given spiritual ears to hear spiritual truth, and they will understand. And there are those who are hardened, and they will not understand the spiritual truth. And you go, is that fair? Well, that's what we're going to actually talk about, because we're going to talk about the quality of the soil. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, this same parable is repeated in Matthew and in Luke. We just happen to be doing the Mark version of it today. And in the Matthew version, it's more obvious that there's this delay between the discussion of the, give, the giving of the parable itself and the discussion with the disciples. It's like they all are sitting there. Jesus is preaching to the crowd. He gives this parable. And then they walk off. And one of the disciples walks up to Jesus and says, Hmm, what does this mean? What is the lesson we're supposed to be getting out of this farmer story? So we pick up in verse 13. Then Jesus said, Don't you understand this parable? He had already mentioned that he was talking in parables so that some would understand and some wouldn't because some didn't have the spiritual ears. And he, now he turns to the disciples and goes, and you don't understand? Hmm, which crowd does that put you in? If you can't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any parable? Well, the answer is actually quite obvious how they're going to understand the parables. They're going to ask Jesus. And Jesus is going to explain the parables to them. That's how we understand spiritual truth, is by asking Christ, asking God, asking the Holy Spirit to explain it to us. And he will do so. But many people are not inclined to ask. Once again, it's the quality of the soil. So Jesus says in verse 14, The farmer sows the word. The seed itself is the word of God. The farmer is the person, whoever it is, that sows the seed. Obviously, Jesus is referring to himself, proclaiming the word of God. But he's not just talking to himself, about himself. He's talking about anybody that shares the word of God. We need to remember this. The seed is the word of God. As we look at these various soils, the seed does not change. 
The seed is good. There's no problem with the seed. It's not like sometimes I put out good seed and sometimes I put out bad seed. The seed is the word of God and the word of God will not return void when it is proclaimed. But, comma, that does not always mean that it will bear fruit. Why? Because of the quality of the soil. Let's keep going. The farmer sows the seed. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. What do you think the quality of the path would be? Come on. Not good. Why? It's hard. Okay. You, you have the picture. You have a field. You have a garden. And you walk around the outside of it. And where you walk gets beaten down. It gets hardened. You know, to the, to the best of my ability, I have tried to grow grass in my yard, but I've got kids that run all over the place. It is hard. Now, my yard actually falls into the next category. We'll get to that in a moment. But where people walk, the ground becomes hard. So the farmer, he has thrown the, thrown the seed. Obviously, he wants it to fall on the good soil, but some of it falls on the path. The path is the part where it is hard. Let's keep going. As soon as they hear it, this is the seed, the people that represent the hard path. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Okay? I have, on occasion, been rather lazy. And I think, well, you know, I need some grass in my yard. So I go buy a sack of grass seed, and I go out and I throw it around. Okay? It lands on the top, and it stays on the top, and it does not grow. Okay? It just doesn't happen. But if I'm out there throwing some seed, and it lands on the hard ground, the birds view that as lunchtime. Okay? They like seed. They want seed. It is sitting there on the top. Why? There's no depth to the soil. It has no place to go. It is sitting on the top. The birds come and they take it and they cart it off. And Jesus said, those individuals whose hearts are hardened expose themselves to Satan coming along and just snatching the seed before it has any effect at all. Now at this point, we need to have a long discussion, but we won't have a long discussion. We'll have a short discussion about the whole concept of hardened hearts. What is a hardened heart? Hmm? One that does not receive the truth. Doesn't want the truth rejects the truth progressively it is not responsive to god's word god's truth anything to do with god in fact it may be very militant against it i watched a video uh, over the holidays which was a discussion debate between one of our current uh, big-name atheists, and a preacher. 
And the preacher has the comment. He said, the modern atheists believe two things. One, there is no God. And two, we hate him. (laughs) Go figure. Right? Harder question. How do we get a hardened heart? By becoming bitter, uh-huh. That will certainly do it. Continual denial of God's truth. Complacency. Going with the wrong crowd. Pardon? Self. Very good. There's actually two answers to this question. Two, not two. Two answers to this question. We do it, and God does it. Ooh, we don't like that. Go read Pharaoh's interaction with Moses. You remember? Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And we go through a series of plagues, And finally, after the Passover, Pharaoh lets the people go. But throughout this process, it says, Moses said this to Pharaoh, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Or it says, Moses said this to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. Which is it? Yes, We see in Romans chapter 1 this downward spiral where man chooses to worship the created thing rather than worship the creator himself. So God gives them over. God gives them over to, well, if you want to go down that path, go. Go ahead, go. And their heart is hardened. And they go around the spiral one more time. And it says... God gives them over, and they go. A hardened heart is a heart that is not responsive to the things of God. What does a hardened heart produce? A hardened heart. Which comes first? Who knows? God allows us to do things. God allows us to harden our hearts to the things of God. I had an interesting uh, discussion years, years ago when I talked about Pharaoh and hardening the hearts, etc. And somebody in the class, actually it was a visitor, I believe, asked the question, do you think God would do that today? And I, I actually hemmed and hawed for a while and finally said, well, yes, God hasn't changed We haven't changed. And the guy said, no, I can't accept that. We have developed the mentality that God has to put up with anything forever. And God doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to extend grace. He chooses to extend grace. 
It is presumptuous of us to think that we can harden our hearts with no consequence. There are those individuals in this world today who have hardened hearts. The Word of God enters their life and nothing happens. At best, it sits there idle and Satan comes along and grabs it and carts it off. At worst, they pick it up themselves and toss it away because they're not interested in it. Why is it important that the disciples understand this parable? Because Christ is sending the disciples out to the community to share the word of God. The disciples have heard the word of God. They've responded to the word of God. It is a wonderful thing. Don't you think if you were one of those early disciples and you had been spending time with Jesus, you envision taking that word of God, going out to the community, and everybody accepting it? I mean, isn't that what you'd expect? This is God standing here, and I'm going to go proclaim God. Wouldn't I expect everybody to respond positively? And Jesus says, no. I'm sending you to preach the gospel in the midst of people that will have a variety of different responses. Some of them will have hardened hearts. And your sharing the gospel will have no impact at all. We've had discussions the last several weeks about the Pharisees. The Pharisees had hardened hearts. Now, We also had a discussion, though, about a Pharisee, Nicodemus, who was responsive to the gospel. Keep that in mind, because i got one more point at the very end about that. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Others are like seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble our persecution come because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is my yard, okay, at home. The name of my street is Redstone. It's called Redstone because you go that far beneath the surface and there's a layer of red stone. It's not hard. You can, with a proper use of strong implements, break through it, okay? But it's that deep. So I plant grass. The grass grows until the Texas summer heat comes along. And it can't, it can't absorb enough water to stay alive. So my grass dies. There are those who go to a gospel meeting. They hear the word of God. They see the excitement around them. They think, I want that. I want that kind of life. I want that. So they, you know, in a good Baptist church, they come down front or at some gospel convention. They come to the front of the stadium. Life is good. They leave. And the next day, problems come. Wait a minute. I just became a Christian. I just became a follower of the guy that runs the universe, right? Why is there a problem? 
Why is there a difficulty in my life? And all of a sudden, that excitement that they had, that joy with which they began their belief, is all washed away. The Texas heat comes along and the grass dies. The tribulations of life come along and that joy that was demonstrated at the beginning disappears. Now, there is a debate among theologians that we're not going to get too much involved in about which of these soils, translating them into human beings, which of these soils are saved? Because there are some who want to believe this soil was saved. They heard the message, they responded to the message, but life just got too tough. My understanding of the parable is Jesus is saying no. There are lots of people who have the appearance of salvation. There are lots of people who will follow the things of God when things are going well. Not to talk about any particular church, but let's talk about ours. Okay? It's a good place to come. We have nice buildings. We have nice people. We have wonderful music. We have wonderful sermons. You might expect some people to come just because they want to be around nice people doing nice things. That doesn't mean they're converted. You can sit in Christ's chapel and be unconverted. Now, fortunately, you'll sit in Christ's chapel and you will hear the gospel message, which isn't true in some other churches. So hopefully you will respond but there are those who are perfectly willing to be believers when things are going well. It is interesting. You read early church history, and we enjoy reading about the martyrs of the faith, those who died for Christ. But sometimes we forget that there were a lot of people who didn't die for Christ. That as soon as the persecution started, they were gone. No, I'll do it as long as it doesn't cost me anything. The soil is shallow. It doesn't produce any roots. In order to be productive, in order to produce something... The plant has to have roots that correspond to the size of whatever plant it is. These particular people, this particular soil, doesn't have those roots. Let's keep going. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The last soil, the rocky soil, there were no roots. Things couldn't grow there. 
This is actually good soil, but it's already occupied with something. It's occupied with thorns. You know, the thorns like good soil too, right? They like growing where there's places to plant their roots. This soil is good soil. It's just already occupied with something. And that stuff that occupies the soil chokes the life out of the gospel message that is given. And we're given three different items here that choke the life out of the gospel. This list has always fascinated me, primarily because I view myself as being very susceptible to it. Let's look at the three things. The worries of this life. How many of you worry about things? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) The rest of you are probably lying. And I don't want to make you lie in class, okay? No, actually, there's some people who don't worry about things. I'm a worrier, okay? I worry about things. Worrying about things really is what? Fruitless, one thing. (laughs) A lack of faith. It's saying that God can't control tomorrow, so I'll have to spend the night thinking about it just in case God doesn't come through. You know how he is sometimes, right? Worrying is a fruitless exercise that prevents us from being productive prevents us from experiencing the joy that God would want us to have with response to the gospel message. Number one, the worries of this life. Number two, the deceitfulness of wealth. Okay, why is wealth deceitful? You believe that... will make you happy. You know, there's, there's really two types of deceitfulness here. One is those who don't have wealth believing that acquiring wealth would solve all their problems. It usually doesn't. All wealth usually does is amplify whatever it was you had before. If you worried before, you'll worry more because you'll have more to worry about. If you were greedy before, you'll be greedy after. You'll just have more to be greedy with. All it does is amplify it. So those who don't have wealth look at wealth and are deceived by it. Those who have wealth are deceived into believing that somehow it makes them a better, more virtuous more wonderful person. It deceives them. Why does wealth deceive us? Makes us self-sufficient. That's very good. It makes us believe we don't need God. Do you remember that wonderful passage in Proverbs? I think it's in chapter 29 or 30, whichever one it is where he says, Lord, give me enough. 
If I have too little, I'll steal and I'll make you look bad. But if I have too much, I'll forget about you. And that's bad too. Just give me enough. That's why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer says, Give us this day our daily bread. Don't put enough bread in the storehouse for the next 10 years because he knows if I have enough bread in the storehouse for the next 10 years, the odds are, this doesn't always happen, but the odds are, I'm going to start believing I don't need God. Now, having said that, there have been some fabulously wealthy, good Christian individuals who have used their money to further the kingdom. It does happen. I've read the biographies. I know. Okay? It does happen. But it doesn't happen that much. Our wealth can deceive us into thinking that we don't need God. Our wealth will choke out the gospel message. The gospel message is the good news that Christ died for our sin. But in order to believe that, you have to believe the I've sinned part of it. That I'm in need. That I need something that I cannot provide. And wealth will choke that out. You begin to believe that you can do it all. Now, at this point, I might throw in a warning and an observation. I've said this in here before, but I'll repeat it again. We have a tendency as individuals to not think of ourselves as well off. Okay? We look at, you know, the fortune list of the 500 richest people in the world, and we go, those people are rich. We're not rich. A book that I read years ago about raising children says, let me give you a test. Do you have access to your own mode of transportation? It could be a bicycle. Do you have access to a mode of transportation? Do you have a choice of what you eat for lunch today? And do you have more than one pair of clothes? If you can answer yes to two of those three questions, you are wealthier than 80% of the people in the world today. And you go, oh, maybe I am well off. Remember the deceitfulness of wealth. What is the third one? The desire for other things. The desire for other things. If you remember in the Screwtape Letters, the Screwtape Letters are C.S. Lewis's letters from a senior demon to an underling demon telling him how to tempt the human being. Great letters. And in one of them he says you need to start, first off, the patient has become a Christian. Horrible thing, but not totally lost. So he says you need to make him want Christianity and. Christianity and social progress. Christianity and Fill in the blank with your pet project. What we begin to think is that I need the gospel and I need, I don't know, what's your thing? Money, that gets us back to the last one. Power, 
influence. Francis Schaeffer says that our modern society is driven by two values, personal peace and affluence. Personal peace is I want to be left alone. Affluence is I want enough toys to enjoy myself while I'm being left alone. I'm willing to be a Christian. I'm willing to do the things of God as long as I can have something else with it. Christ says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and everything that you need will be added on to it. Yeah, I know that. But what about the things that I want? Choke, choke, choke. Disciples, you're going out into a world to share the gospel. It is the good news from God. And you think that when I share the gospel, everybody's going to respond positively to it. You've got to understand this parable, disciples. You've got to understand that you can go share the gospel in the most fabulous, best, smartest, intelligent, whatever, whatever way possible. But sometimes the soil's not there. We have hardened hearts. We have shallow hearts. And we have hearts that are choked out by the things of this world. You've got to understand this, disciples, Jesus is telling them, or you won't understand any of the rest of the teaching about the kingdom. You've got to understand this parable. But there's one more soil. Other, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times what was sown. Do we have any farmers in here or anybody that understands the agricultural business? What is the standard yield today from a grain, a seed, to the number of seeds produced? I don't know. I read somewhere that at biblical times, 10 to 1 was considered a good crop. I plant seeds and I produce 10 times what I planted. And that was considered good. Hmm? Without fertilizer, without a lot of different things. Okay? Yes, go ahead. One year alone, yeah. So corn is... Anyway, what is he saying? Soil that is good, that is ready to receive the word, well, what does it say? It hears the word, it accepts the word, and it produces. God expects those who believe to be productive. Now, we could have a long discussion about why some of it produces 30, why some of it produces 60, and why some of it produces 100. You know, I've actually read places where they get into this discussion of, well, the 30 is a believer that's not really doing everything they should. I don't know about that. Okay? In God's providence... Some produce 30, some produce 60, and some produce 100. What does 60 and 
and 130 look like? Tell you the truth, I have no idea. You know, we could look at Billy Graham, and he has led thousands to Christ, and he go, we go, wow, that's great. But the fruit can take a lot of different forms. The fruit is whatever God desires to produce in your particular life. We may not know what that looks like. Some of it may be very visible. Some of it may be invisible until we get to heaven and we look back and we go, wow, look at that crop. Look what was produced and you didn't even know what was going on. Hear the word, accept the word, and be productive. The believer will produce something. Back to the discussion. I said there's a debate about which of these soils were actually saved. And there's some who want to put those middle two, you know, the rocky soil, the thorny soil. Yeah, it... it, it The gospel was there. It just wasn't productive. And you know, if I were preaching the funeral of somebody who was very marginal, I might want to believe that. Okay? I don't know. I'll trust the grace and goodness of God. But I do know that for those of us who still have air in our lungs... God expects us to be producing for the kingdom. I don't know what that looks like in your particular life. The last several weeks, we've had some discussions about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to try to name them again. I did real well last week. That's the fruit. The fruit could be the salvation of those around us. That could be the fruit. I don't know what the fruit looks like in your particular life. But God expects you to be productive. Now, two points and we'll be done. One of which we've already covered. Why was it important that Jesus told his disciples, you've got to understand this parable. It's important because they were going into the world to share the gospel. But the second point is interesting too. I told you this is farming 2,000 years ago. The farmer went out and he sowed the seed. He threw it. He threw it everywhere he could. The more seed, the more crop. The less seed, the less crop. Ideally, ideally, every seed would fall on good soil. That would be The perfect world. But the farmer, 2,000 years ago, knows he doesn't have time to worry about that. He's going to sow the seed, and he's going to reap a harvest. Sometimes we get into our minds, see that guy over there? He has a hard heart. I'm not going to share the gospel with him. See that person over there? They're shallow. I'm not going to share the gospel with them. See that person over there? They've got so many cares and worries of the world. If I shared the gospel with them, it would just get choked out. I'm not going to share the gospel with them. But you know what? We're talking about the condition of hearts here. 
Can you see the condition of someone's heart? No. We are to be like this farmer and go throw the seed everywhere. That person who we think has the hard heart may be on his last struggle fighting against God before he surrenders to the gospel. It could be John Newton, the slave trader, who finally understands the gospel. We've had this discussion before when we've discussed that thing that we're not supposed to discuss, you know, predestination. You know, we discuss who is and who isn't saved. And we get to the end of the discussion and we, we, get, we want to get into this mindset of, okay, I'm going to go find the elect and I'm going to preach the gospel to them. We don't know who they are. Who are the people who are elect? Those who respond to the gospel. Do we know that beforehand? No. Are we supposed to? No. Should we care? No. We're to share the gospel. Who is it out there who has the shallow soil? Who is it that has the thorns? Who is it? I don't know. I mean, I can look at outward visible signs, and I, you know, okay, but God knows the heart. And that's where the work is being done. All we've been instructed to do is to go out and throw the seed. A lot of seed, a lot of harvest. Little seed, little harvest. We do need to examine our own hearts sometimes. Am I hard? Am I shallow? Am I being choked out by the cares of this world? We do need to do that. And sometimes when we're sharing the gospel with someone else, we do get the sense that Satan is just grabbing it. This is a hard heart. And maybe we do need to back off. That passage about casting pearls before swine, there does come a point where it's just not being effective. Does that mean we stop praying? We stop expecting God to do miracles? No. God is in the business of doing miracles. But, comma, don't be surprised that when you share the gospel, not everybody jumps up and says, I want that. But some will. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that it is you who made the seed, that you who causes it to grow. I pray, Lord, that you would make us all good soil. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.